Welcome to the On-Premise IT Podcast, the only podcast that dares to be both on topic and on location. My name is Tom Hollingsworth and I'm a part of Gestalt IT and each episode we bring you the perspectives and opinions of a group of IT luminaries, experts in their field on a variety of enterprise IT topics. I'd like to take a moment for each of our guests to introduce themselves before we jump into the premise for today's episode, starting with Snail. Uh, hi all, my name is Snehal Patel. I'm a network architect. Uh, you can find me on LinkedIn and on Twitter at snehalpatel1410. And I occasionally blog at prosdn.com. Jody? Hi, I'm Jody Lemoyne. I'm your friendly neighborhood independent network consultant. And uh, I'm on Mastodon at, at ghostinthenet at hackyderm.io. And hi, I'm Steve Paluca, also a network architect in the service provider space. And you can find me on social media, LinkedIn, Twitter, and at paluca.com. All right. Well, thank you all very much for joining us today. Let's jump into the premise for this episode. You operate more than one networking vendor's hardware, right? You have more than one ride-sharing app on your phone. You've deployed all of your applications to more than one cloud, haven't you? Because the real enemy is lock-in. It doesn't matter whether or not it works or doesn't work or costs too much or not enough or you roll your own or you buy somebody else's. What you really have to do is avoid lock-in because lock-in is the end of all of us. Or is it? The premise for this episode is that lock-in isn't your enemy. So we actually started off this conversation over lunch, and we're like, yeah, you know, what about this, and what about that? And it, it got pretty heated in here for a minute. So I'd like to open the floor up to our, our guests here to kind of kick this off. I mean, I come from a long tradition of being told that my network needs to be multi-vendor because I should not be beholden to one particular manufacturer, whether it be Dell or Cisco or IBM or Wang Computers or somebody. That walk-in is what's going to sink me, but yet I've never had that happen. Where, where does this come from? I think it comes from an understanding or lack of understanding of what lock-in is. So expand on that a little bit because maybe I think that we, we're all starting from the wrong place. What is lock-in? Well, lock-in is where you've invested so much into a particular management architecture that it is an incredible effort to get out of it and it will cost you more than it's worth to get out. So you're in with one vendor or one architecture. You can have all of your equipment be from a single vendor without being locked in. But if you're using a single vendor's management architecture that only works with that vendor, and you're building all your automation strategy and your deployment strategy around that engine, now you're approaching lock-in because you can't get out. Sounds a lot like there's technical debt in, involved in all of this. Potentially, yeah. Um, I, I agree with Jody. Um, networking, and most of the networking comes with some form of lock-in, right? Even on-prem, not only cloud, right? You deploy a router of one vendor versus the other. Your CLI is going to be different. Your commands are going to be different. The way you build automation for that on-prem network is going to be, going to be different, and cloud is the same. Your VNets are different than VPCs. The APIs are different, and the way you create that, that infrastructure is different. But then it's the job of the network engineers to build that foundation and abstract it for the application teams. Yeah, I, I really just don't like the the whole use of the term lock-in because it's uh, you know, and I like the technical debt uh, as a better measure because it's no matter what you do. 
um, human beings hate change. <laughs> you know, that's, that's true. It's almost in our DNA if it isn't. Uh, it might actually be. Uh, and as a result of that, we do things the same way, the same way, the same way. And, and where, where the friction comes in is, is I, I don't really think it's lock-in. It's just this inertia of not wanting to, to make a change. And even in, um, ven, uh, in networks that I've worked on where we had multiple vendors specifically to avoid um, potential conflicts, it was always, at the end of the day, uh, more about money and negotiating than actual technical lock-in. It was like, yeah, I want to make sure. I, I actually had a director once tell me, he says, I want 20% of our spend in any major technical area to be with a second vendor so that I can use that vendor to beat over the head the main one. And if they piss me off enough, we'll go with the second one. <laughs> And unfortunately, a lot of times that's what it comes down to is, you know, we're, we're going to keep a small section of this um, something different so that we can use that as leverage later on down the road. But one of the things that we don't even talk about so much is we're, we're very focused on this idea of, of single vendors being a source of lock-in, yet single vendors can cause problems. Like I referenced the fact that at the start of my career, I was installing Cisco PIX firewalls. Then I was installing Cisco ASA firewalls. Then Cisco ASA's command line structure changed away from the ASA PixOS to something a little bit more akin to iOS. And then we have firepower and all these other things. So yeah, and, and Snail's sitting over there going, oh my God, you just, you, you've literally like taken me down a, a, a trauma like you know <laughs> highway. But the fact is, is that any one of those choices represents quote unquote lock-in and yet that vendor is the one who's breaking that lock-in. You know, oh, did you standardize on a PIX? It's too bad. We don't sell those anymore. You got to do this. So in a way, does, does having a large enough vendor prevent those lock-in kinds of situations because you can't be guaranteed that they're not going to kill that product off? Yes, I'm looking right at you, Google. Um, you know, <laughs> you know what, what, what's going to happen in three years when my strategy to standardize on things suddenly doesn't exist anymore because the thing isn't being sold? Well, it, that's the that's the really different thing about um, IT in general, as opposed to a lot of other businesses you could be in. Is like like I said, human beings don't like change, but IT, you know, it changes. All change happens. The time, so it, it already attacks these anti-humans who 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 are comfortable dealing with change. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yep. But but I want to come back a little bit to lock-in being the. Th not necessarily going with one vendor or one platform. Right. It's the thing that prevents you from going to another platform. So there's lots of people who've gone from the PICS to the ASA to the Firepower and then decided, you know what, that line's not for me. We're going to put in something Palo like Palo Alto or something else. <laughs> yeah. and, and they can make that move. Just the fact that they've stuck with one vendor up till now and decided to switch, that's not lock-in because they have the choice. They haven't built their whole infrastructure around one way of doing things that is only supported by one vendor. So I'm going to throw a wrench in this because when we originally started discussing this, it really didn't have anything to do with systems. And it had something to do with the cloud. Because one of the things that we've seen over the years is that cloud services are doing their best to make customer interactions very sticky. Mm -hmm. And like one of the things we were talking about at lunch was the fact that um, you know, if you want to give your cloud architects um, hives and shivers in the night, just say the word egress costs. 
All right. Oh, ooh. and it comes down to, you know, like, you know, a lot of people will use, uh, we'll just, you know, say like Amazon Snowball is their, you know, their preferred method for transferring files into Glacier. And Glacier appears to be like, you know, the backup tapes of your, I'm just going to write stuff to them and I hope I'm never going to need it. But boy, when I do need it, it doesn't cost any money to put data into Glacier, hardly. It costs a craplet of money to get it out. So is, is the cloud um, migration causing more strict, more um, difficult to remove lock-in, not because of technical limitations, but by the fact that the policies and the things that we're building in the cloud make it almost impossible for us to uh, move our services from AWS to Azure to GCP to Oracle because they don't have the features that I need in those other clouds. To borrow from uh, Ambassador Kosh on Babylon 5, yes. <laughs> <laughs> it, it is all of these things. Like it's, when we were talking earlier about local systems and management engines and being locked into the way of doing things provided by X vendor, the cloud is another example of, of same. It doesn't matter who you're going to for public cloud. You're going there for your compute, your storage, your networking, and having it handled off-premises. But each one of those cloud providers has their own APIs and their own automations for getting in there, and they are very different from one another. So once you've built all your tools around it and you've put everything into that cloud, you're caught in two angles. You're caught on the egress costs because getting out of it is going to be quite expensive, and you're caught in that all of your automations, your processes, and everything are geared around that one provider's API, and you're going to have to retool everything to move it to another one. And that, that's not even just moving from one to another. It's also the shifting of workloads. So if I want resiliency and I've got something sitting in Azure and I want to transparently move this workload over to GCP, that's a major, major thing. But it only has to happen once, right? Because <laughs> I rewrite it for GCP and then I'm done. But, but is that really any different than what we've been dealing with uh, in choosing between two different on-prem and uh, uh, vendors, you know, it's really the same thing. It's just come around to software instead of instead of hardware. Uh, companies are engineering these things. You call it sticky, but it, it's. I mean, they're 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 engineering them to make them hard to change, uh, because they know that at a certain point somebody down the line is going to make a cost value judgment. And the hard to change turns into hours, turns into cost. So the harder it is, the more you have to tick them off before they pull the PO and go with the other vendor. Yes, yeah. absolutely. But it's all, oh, go ahead, Snow. No, I was just saying that um, I agree with what Steve said because it's similar to your on-prem. You build a new fabric, you, now we have to migrate from old to new, similar. Uh, change control that you need, right? Same downtime that you need, all of that. Like right? cost-wise, I agree. But then again, if you're moving from a cloud vendor A to cloud vendor B, then B will potentially give you more discounts, which might offset your moving cost as well, yeah. right? Because you are giving them new business. So are you are you are the cloud providers giving you the discounts to encourage you to move, or is it something you all have these. to ask for? I mean, of course you oh, have yeah. to ask. Oh yeah, negotiate. they ain't gonna just give it to you. you yeah, you ask for it, but, but then but that's what the directors get paid for, right? Yeah. <laughs> to cut the deals. <laughs> exactly. But one key difference between our, our local environments and the cloud environments is scaling. So when we're just dealing with a few local devices, 
and we've got people on them, well, yeah, you can shift gears fairly easily. But as we grow things to enterprise scale and beyond enterprise scale to cloud scale, our automations are taking care of a lot more. And there's a lot more technical debt. But isn't this where things like intent-based networking and AI ops kind of solve those problems? Because I no longer have to know the trivia vagarities of how to configure uh, policy-based routing on Junos versus iOS versus, you know, pick your flavor of operating system. I just click the box in the software and the software takes care of it for me. Well, not entirely, but, it, but at the same time is the technical debt to rewrite a bunch of scripts and convert them from Azure to GCP really more than the technical debt that's involved in the physical moving of you know, a cluster in one data center and removing it and installing a new one and having your employees learn a new CLI versus the old CLI. Is that technical debt really that much more? Potentially. I don't think so. I think it's actually less because it's all done in, in software. And, in, and the same thing's going to happen anyway because when we, when we decided to go from vendor A to vendor B in the data center, what happened? We had a bunch of people who are expert in vendor A. They're going to quit and go somewhere that uses vendor A, and we're going to hire people that know vendor B. <laughs> You know, and, and that's what's actually going to happen, and the same thing's going to happen in the freaking cloud. So all those Azure people are going to bail and go to an Azure shop, and we're going to hire GCP people. And a few of them will pick up both and get yeah. certified for both of them. For sure. <laughs> and, and especially if you're doing multi-cloud, and you're not moving from one to the other, but you are using both and expecting to shift workloads back and forth as required. Oh, nobody does that. That's like a pipe dream in the, yeah. the non-existent realm. Why is realm. Because it's... Because each one's Somebody locking you in. <laughs> because each one is locking you in. No, it's because, too difficult. No, no but I, I, it actually it's stupid. <laughs> it, it brings up a good point because we we hear a lot about this. You know, look at any analyst or talking head anywhere in the industry, and they'll tell you it's very important that you you deal with lock-in. You don't need it. And my thought was, yeah. wh what exactly does that mean? Like when you go to a conference, you have a little button on your lapel that says "technical debt free," and like, what, what's the actual <laughs> value behind? spending 25% more of your time making things run on you know different systems for the sake of saying that you're portable. Like all I remember is back in the day, oh, we're gonna write this app in Java because it'll run on any platform slowly. <laughs> slowly. So like what what what's the value that we gain from saying, oh well, you know, 10% of our workloads must be in Oracle Cloud because we can't be all in on Amazon. Well, and by right. the way, that Java was a lock-in too, just at a different layer. Yeah, because <laughs> yeah, sure. I promise you that no skill in writing Java ever translated to any other thing anywhere else in the world. Yeah. yeah. But it depends on your business case. It's If you are worried about having all your eggs in one basket with one cloud provider and you want to be in more than one because a meltdown at Microsoft shouldn't take you completely out, then that's a consideration you have to make. But this... Yeah. Based on that, I think I want to go back and say lock-in is something to be aware of in your strategy and recognize the costs. It doesn't necessarily mean it's a bad, horrible thing that you should never, ever do. It just means you have to be aware of what the cost of it is and how much it might cost you to get out of doing it this way if you have to. And if you go in their eyes wide open, 
and that's your strategy, by all means do it. But going in there just saying, oh yeah, we, we like Azure, so we're gonna do everything in Azure, and then realize, oh, maybe they don't quite meet what we need, and oh, we're completely married to them now. That's something that should have been thought up a long time ago. And um, my take is also that um, the lock-in will be there at all the layers. It's it's up to every team to abstract it um, for the applications running on top of that platform, right? So the network team abstracts it at the network layer, right? Application teams can uh, just not care about what network they're running or what cloud they're running on. And in my experience, the closest an application team in cloud has come to come to infrastructure um, is when they were using load balancers because load balancer is something that which they'll have to automate specific to their application and that's where things could differ, but it shouldn't matter to them if they're running on a VPC or a virtual network. So I'm gonna talk about something that is kind of, I find it interesting, this idea of what I'm going to call frog boiling lock-in where it's not that you walk into this eyes wide open going, ah, there's no way that I'm ever gonna get caught using AWS for everything. I'm gonna put these bare minimum workloads out there and I'm gonna make sure that I'm running standard protocols between everything and ooh, that's a neat little button I can push and it allows me to do like Route 53 stuff and ooh, that, I need that service too, click, 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 and then a month later you realize that there's no way you're ever gonna be able to completely get away from Amazon because it wasn't the infrastructure that you were trying to get away from it's the 48 services that you now rely on. And we see that in the cloud. We see that in security. If you talk to any XDR or any kind of vendor who's doing like a bunch of advanced remediation stuff, they'll be the first ones to tell you, well, we can make it work if you have a whole bunch of disparate tool sets, but it really works best if you use ours. Yeah. So how do we get away from that? Can, is there a way to avoid this, this you know, death by degrees kind of thing where it's like, you didn't get into this thinking you were gonna be locked into the system and a month later because you have all these cool features that you need uh, that maybe were turned on for a trial period or for nothing and now it's like, oh, next year's bill is due and you're gonna charge me how much for that? Like, how do we avoid having that happen? Turn off all the features and just run the bare minimum and hope that nobody notices? Vanilla Kubernetes in cloud. <laughs> I like the egalitarian way. The only way that you're ever going to fix this is you can only run Linux on everything. <laughs> Although, like, not necessarily suggesting running bare, bare Kubernetes in cloud, but having um, using fairly standardized stuff to get at bare cloud resources isn't a bad beginning if that's the direction you want to go. So there's a lot of second level cloud providers that will provide you networking, compute, and storage that doesn't have a predefined API. You go at it with your own VMs, control it your own way, however you want to do it. And I'm not necessarily saying that's the best way to go about it, but if that's your priority, it is an option that's available to you. But I don't think that should be your priority. Your priority should be delivering whatever it is your business is doing to make money. For sure. And if the best way uh, to do that is to buy a specific service in the cloud you happen to be in today, you should damn well buy that service. If the relationship falls apart later, then you have to consider that as part of your technical debt to still deliver whatever your ultimate service is on whatever your replacement is to the people who have just, you know, knocked you over. Well, that comes down to business case again. It's like if you, yes. if, if your business decision is, I'm not going to spend extra money to get locked into this. Then, I think that's the wrong one though. Well, that's up to them. Mm -hmm. that's, that's not up to us. We don't get to make the business decisions. We just get to interpret them. 
but that that kind of belies the point that we're talking about here. If if the business that we're in is to just consume cloud resources to operate networks and servers, that's one thing. But we are not the ultimate consumers of that. We are just providing services for other people to consume it, and that would be those ugly developers on the other side of the wall because they're writing software that runs on those resources that we provide. Does any of this conversation matter to them at all? Because, I mean, we're just utilities. We're the electricity. It does. <laughs> it, it does in the sense that if we're going to automate cloud, then we want a lot of this to be self-service. So if we're going to be providing networks, we're going to be providing everything the devs need, they don't need to be coming to us manually for everything. They need to be able to say, well, I need this, 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 and this provision. And that's what we're abstracting. I feel that uh, it might matter to them, but it's our job to make sure that it should not matter to them, right? So we give them a good foundation for whatever clouds you're using, and then let them decide based on their application architecture which cloud to go with. So if, if their workload required for them to use Cosmos DB in Azure, then they go in Azure. Otherwise, they go in some other cloud, and, and they will have same networking foundation at everywhere. Yeah, and most of those special services you were mentioning before aren't going to be chosen by the network team. They're exactly. Going to be chosen right. They are going to yeah, the people delivering applications and well, services. What, what you're trying to say like is the, the network team never wanted to run vMotion? What are you talking about? Like everybody wanted vMotion. That's the whole reason why we built all these constructs around. Layer 2 DCI yeah. to Mars. Shout out to Kevin. <laughs> <laughs> But I mean, but that's part of the problem that we as network engineers and, you know, go call the storage team and everybody else. It feels like we've been kind of pushed into specific scenarios to support things that shouldn't have been supported. And that has created this kind of lock-in. Oh, well, we're using VMware as our virtualization platform and we've built our applications to use their failover methodology, which means we have to create extended layer two links using OTV. So now we're locked into Cisco because nobody else supports OTV. And then we look around one day and we're like, well, why, why do we have all this stuff? Like my plan was to never be locked in. And now I'm running, you know, VMDX files across, you know, EIGRP connected links. And this is how it has to be. And you just want to throw your hands up in the air. How can we as, as the, you know, ultimate service providers in the enterprise IT market halt that train before it gets that far down the tracks? But the cloud is kind of helping us to do that. Like, now. Or the concepts of cloud at least, right? So now yeah. instead of doing vMotion, we tell them, no, you're not going to have to vMotion your VMs. You're going to have your backup location in the other, uh, backup application and VMs in the other data center. And we are going right. to use GTM to fail you over, right? So yeah. that you don't have to do a vMotion and we don't have to mess the network design and, and just the for cloud does so much better in yeah. things like availability zones, exactly. and regions, and the whole business that we couldn't do easily on on prem because we physically didn't own enough space and separation, and sometimes not even in different power utilities. You know? <laughs> but in a lot of cases, the best we can do is warn. Is <laughs> we can say, look, you have to think about this. And once you've thought about this and made your decision, we'll happily make things work for you. But you got to think about it. And I think part of it comes down to the fact that there is no vMotion button in any cloud provider. And it nope. turns out that the real secret all along was you have to write your application better. Exactly. And so that kind of comes back to the point we're at right now with you know, cloud being a very prevalent way that we, we do things, the networking that we do kind of con being consumed in a different way you know, very focused on the edge, on campus, maybe not so much on data centers, and very focused on getting people to the cloud. 
do we even need to worry about lock-in anymore? Or as Jody said, just be aware of it, make a note in your notebook, and move on. And sometimes, and this is kind of a different way of looking at it, sometimes the lock-in is to your advantage. Sometimes you're basically saying, oh, well, we want to do this, 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 and this. Cloud provider says no. <laughs> <laughs> so you can't do it that way. Well, we need you to do it that way. No, because now I'm being backed up by my lock-in. <laughs> Uncle Jassy says you can't do that. <laughs> Well, and the other thing that's really helping in this area is we used to have to run everything on our own machines, either virtual or physical ourselves. Mm -hmm. And right now, you know, over the last two decades, the more and more of the business services we get are software as a service that aren't even run. They're definitely not run on my data center. They're, they may not even be run in my cloud. They're run in somebody else's cloud entirely. Uh, and and yeah. more, and that's that is a big chunk of what I used to have to maintain 20 years ago mm -hmm. on prem. Yep, and and software as a service that's a, that's another interesting one because most of what we've been talking about here with respect to cloud is infrastructure as a service mm -hmm. where we're directly addressing the compute storage and networking. Software as a service is its own whole different thing where it's it's perpetual beta because you're you have no control over how they're doing updates, how they're doing changes. Oh, they just changed the interface for this application completely. Get used to it. Did they warn us? No, but get used to it. They don't need to warn you because you're a customer and you just deal with what we tell you you're gonna like. And, and that, that logged its lock-in. <laughs> <laughs> well, it, it was just technical debt and friction. You can hire a different software service. You it's sure can. You, you know? Well, I think ultimately at the end of the day, what it comes down to is, is that you're never going to be able to 100% avoid lock-in because you're not just buying commodity infrastructure. You're buying a set of services. You're building to a specific spec. You are learning how certain APIs interact with other ones. And let's be fair, most of the time that you're, you're raising the specter of lock-in, what you're really saying is, I want to be able to pay less for this on somebody else's cloud or network or application stack later on down the road so that I either get it cheaper from them or I can get it cheaper from the people that I've already built everything for anyway. And if that's the case, fine. Just don't be surprised when lock-in causes other problems down the road that you're gonna need to solve and you may not have any choice in the matter. You're gonna be burning cycles either way you're either putting them in up front to solve the lock-in problem before it happens or on the back end to dig yourself out of the hole that you've locked yourself into. That'll just about do it for this episode of the On-Premise IT Podcast. Thank you all very much for listening. We appreciate each and every one of you. If you'd like to consume this podcast on our website, the latest episode can always be found at gestaltit.com slash podcast. Look for us in your favorite podcast application of choice. Just search for the On-Premise IT Podcast. And yes, we are using On-Premise correctly there. We should be back with another great episode in a couple of weeks. Until then, thank you very much for listening and take care.